Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 102. Welcome to the podcast 102. So, some of you have been asking what happened to episode 98. And the answer to that question is we don't know. So, I don't know if I miscounted or if it got lost or we we don't know. Sorry about that. So, just consider this as something from the uh, Lord as to help out you tidy-minded people who can't stand looking at a list that has a missing 98, but it's gone. So, this, however, is not gone. This this episode is here, episode 102. So, I, um, I want to begin by uh, making an observation about... Uh, relationship, uh, relationships between the sexes in the church. I think this is also something that is the case out in the um, unbelieving world or in the in the general in general society, but it's it's very pronounced in the church. I've I've seen uh, ministers talking about it at Presbytery. Uh, I've seen it lamented in a number of different ways, and that is the um, the overwhelming number of eligible young women over against uh, available young men. Um, when I was a, gener- a generation or so ago, um, when uh, I got married, I got married when I was 22. Uh, my wife was 23, and that was average. That was normal. That was average. And now the average time for first marriage is something like 27 or 28. Uh, marriage is being postponed, and in the church, uh, quite a number of young women are being left high centered. They're they're um, they're not um, <laughs> you know they're hanging out. They got through college and they've got a career going. Not necessarily because they're career minded, but because they, you have to do something in the meantime. And what are we going to do? Um, I would like to um, offer an observation. It's not so much a solution. It's not like there's a switch on the wall, which if one of us just walked over and flipped the switch, it would fix the problem. Uh, This is a much um, broader uh, problem than that. It doesn't admit of simple solutions, but I I want to uh, make a few comments about where we generally look. In the the church, uh, what happens is if someone were to point out that you know, this is a big church, and there are over 50 young women who are past college who are uh, who would love to get married, and nobody's coming around, and uh, no young men are showing interest, etc. So uh, that's a problem. I would say, obviously, that's a problem. That's certainly a problem. But part of the problem, I would suggest, is where we instinctively feel the problem must be. Um, there are three groups, I think, that we could. Um, suggest have some sort of uh, role in this. One would be the young men, and this is where we uh, instinctively, um, you know, assign the blame. Why, why, don't these, um, uh, why don't these young men get it in gear? Why don't these guys ask a girl out? Why don't these guys try to court someone and uh, marry someone? What's, what's the holdup? So one group is the young men. The other group would be obviously the young women. And Another group would be uh, the teaching officers of the church, or the people, the the uh, thought leaders, as they as they're called nowadays, the the leaders, the teachers, the people who sort of set the tone, set the temperature for the general culture that everybody's operating in. Uh, so we got the men, we have the women, and we have the leadership. 
Now, it seems to me that if we've got this problem and our first reaction to the problem is to turn around to the men and kick them in the teeth, uh, this, might, uh, this might not so much be the solution to our problem to rail at the young men saying, why don't, why don't you get your act together? So much as it might be a manifestation of what the actual problem is. Right. Um, so what do I mean? What do I mean by that? Well, I'm, I mean that, that the, uh, when you want to encourage young men to marry, you ought not to be simultaneously discouraging the young men. You ought not to be blaming them for everything, piling up on them. So what's the, um, what do we do? It seems to me that if, let me uh, take those three groups that I just outlined and we'll call for simplicity's sake. I'm, I'm using a mercenary uh, illustration. Don't, don't, everybody cool it, just an illustration. But basically, um, we have the buyers, the men who are going to take the initiative. We have uh, the product, the women, and we have the sellers, the people who are running the store. Okay? Like I said, just an illustration. But let's say we had a grocery store, and all of a sudden, for some reason, nobody is buying the oranges. Right? Nobody is buying the oranges. They used to buy the oranges. The oranges used to be very popular, but now nobody's buying the oranges anymore. Our um, reflex action now, currently, is to blame the non-orange buyers. Hey, you people out there, you purchasers, you grocery shoppers, you used to buy oranges. Now you're not buying oranges. We think you have a spiritual problem. So we uh, critique, attack, analyze um, the non-orange buyers. But the problem could be in the two other places. Right? The oranges might not be as good as they used to be. That's one possibility. Or another possibility is the people running the grocery store may have decided to price the oranges right out of the market. They, they you know, they raised the price of an orange to $10 an orange. And all of a sudden, people said, well, it's, uh, an orange is nice, but it's not worth that. So when, when we look at this, this situation, and again, there's no switch on the wall that we can go over and flip and fix this problem. Because the, if, if I'm analyzing the problem correctly, the problem is being fed from all kinds of directions. But we have the men who are not marrying the women. We have the women who would like to be married, the women who would like to be uh, courted and married, and we have the leadership of the church haranguing the men for not marrying the women, and and sometimes haranguing the women for not being content with being single. Um, uh, they they are being told that that this is um, that being unmarried is, is being single. Singleness is a gift. It's a calling. It's a well, no. For most people, it's an affliction. Um, and it's an affliction because something is wrong. It's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, of course, the, the Apostle Paul was gifted with celibacy. Um, but that is an unusual situation. If someone's not gifted with celibacy, then being involuntarily single is an affliction, not a gift. And now, of course, it's, a, it's an affliction from the hand of God, and we must receive it from the hand of God, and we must respond to it like, like Christians. However, it's an affliction. Now, when we look at this, 
when we look at this situation, we, and we're only telling the men to step up their game, and telling the men to step up their game doesn't seem to be working at all, um, perhaps we ought to tell the leaders, our Christian leaders, to step up their game and have them start teaching on marriage and attraction and courtship in a more biblical fashion that's not, um, that doesn't resort in the first instance and the second and the third to uh, blame the male um, uh, reflex action. So we should um, uh, look to those who are creating the climate in the church. And then we ought to also look at uh, the women and say, do you have any unrealistic expectations? Do you, have, you, have, you, um, have you priced yourself out of the market? Basically, what we need to come to grips with is the, is the fact that it might not be the case that men are being losers. It might be the case that the men are on strike. And they're on strike because they would like management to consider uh, changing a few things. So, just, just free information. Just a thought. Always will be so, podcast uh, 102, uh, we come to our hamartiology section. Hamartias, I'll remind you, is the Greek word for sin. And so hamartiology is the study of sin. We're working our way through the New Testament, looking at all the Greek words that describe sin of some sort. So the word apatheo, apatheo, relates to unbelief and disobedience both. Unbelief and disobedience both. It's important for us as classical Protestants to distinguish them, but it's equally important for us to refuse to separate them. Far too many tight Protestants, and I distinguish tight Protestants from high Protestants, zealous for what they believe to be the truth, are willing to sacrifice sola scriptura on the altar of sola fide. But of course, God doesn't want that, and he doesn't want it to go the other way either. The relationship of faith and obedience, and also of unbelief and disobedience, is less like the relationship of ham and eggs or salt and pepper than it is like the relationship of height to breadth. If it is heresy to think so, then a lot of the Bible translators need to be brought up on charges. In the authorized version, in the King James, apatheo is rendered as believe not. Okay, apatheo is rendered as believe not. Here are a battery of verses. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's John 3.36. But the Jews, which believed not, there it is, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. That's Acts 17.5. But when divers were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them, and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. That's Acts 19.9. Paul went and taught in the Hall of Tyrannus because uh, various Jews were hardened and believed not. In Romans 11, 30 and 31, it says, For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Okay? There's two instances of it in that, that passage. Romans 15, 31 that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. 
and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted for the saints of the saints. That's Romans 15.31. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. Hebrews 3.18. And then in Hebrews 11.31, By faith the harlot ate Rahab, perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. So, there you have it. Lack of assent to propositions, right? No, the same word is rendered as disobedient. It's the same word, apatheo. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Romans 10.21 Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, there it is, whereunto also they were appointed. That's 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. Which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. That's 1 Peter 3, 20. Which sometime were disobedient. So, and some other scoundrel translated it as obey not, but unto them that are con- 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 excuse me, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but o- but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. First Peter three one. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of their wives. Then in First Peter four seventeen. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the, at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So this last rendering is especially troubling because everyone knows you can't obey or disobey the gospel, right? You have to think thoughts about it, and that's it, correct? Well, no. But then in the nick of time, our translators veered back into propositionalist orthodoxy, and the word is rendered as unbelieving. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. So, we live in troubled times, and so I should note for the record that some of my comments above are facetious, but not all of them. Obey not and believe not are, in Greek, frequently the same word. So my book review for episode 102 in uh, uh, episode 102 of the podcast is um, a book, a small book called "The Universe According to G.K. Chesterton." Uh, it's a it's a compilation of quotes by Dale Alquist, who has done a number of things that are Chesterton related. This is a marvelous little book. Uh, marvelous little book, right? Uh, it's a marvelous little book, um, and th- this is because. Chesterton, when you uh, when you're reading Chesterton in his uh, in the way he presents himself to be read, like one of his books, say Orthodoxy or The Everlasting Man, you you run across regu- regularly you run across quintessential uh, Chestertonian aphorisms. But in books of quotations, when people take the trouble uh, to um, go through Chesterton's writings and gather up all the hot quotes, gather up all the uh, notable uh, quotables, uh, what you have is basically a little uh, shoebox full of diamonds. Uh, Chesterton is quotable. 
and he's memorable and quotable when you're reading it, just regular books by him. But when you read anthologies of his quotations, it's just really um, a first-rate experience. You're seeing Chesterton consistently at his best. If you've never, uh, if you've never read a, an, a collection of his quotations, this is a, a good one to begin with. It's short, pithy. It's uh, also illustrated with uh, a number of Chesterton's own drawings. Chesterton was an artist who uh, who loved to doodle, and uh, a number of his pictures are all all the way through this. So Dale Alquist uh, compiled uh, the universe according to G.K. Chesterton. Really good stuff. God don't He's God. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.